Still doing it. And I love it. Honest, optimistic, but not entirely cheerful. A true morning person. It's, it's not a secret if you know me very well that I prefer television from the 1970s and the 1980s. That's just kind of, that's what I grew up watching either in reruns or, or in regular TV. So that's just kind of where my heart is. You guys remember that show, The Six Million Dollar Man? Oh, yeah. I loved that when I was a kid. The, the astronaut hurt during this crash landing and they give him robot legs and robot arms and a, a robot eye and he was kind of a, kind of a superhero. And, and I kept thinking back to that show weeks ago as I was reading through the scriptures and getting ready for this morning because what, what we're talking about here is out of Romans and Paul is writing and he's talking about the way we're supposed to be as Christians. How we're supposed to be kind of rebuilt and better than we were before. And Paul is actually describing the, the perfect Christian, the Christian that we ought to strive to be. So let me ask you guys, I want to do kind of an experiment this morning. You don't have to, but if you would like, raise your hand. And then as I, I've got a whole list of these attributes of a really good Christian. And as soon as I call something out that you are not 100% great at, take your hand out, okay? See a lot of people smiling and not, not, not a lot of hands in here. Whatever, they're an all-around completely nice person. Man, I felt the wind when Brother Sam pulled his hand out. <laughs> kind, considerate, thoughtful, sympathetic, accepting, tolerant, patient, helpful, friendly, generous, forgiving, humble, totally and completely unselfish. I mean, these are the, the attributes of a, of a good Christian. Somebody who always reaches out to serve and help others lovingly, even the people that don't like them, even the people that they don't like. A Christian who works hard to find areas of agreement with people that think and believe radically different than they think and believe. Somebody who has zero desire to prove that they're right even when they know they are and can prove it. Somebody who has zero desire to prove that the other person is wrong, even when they know the other person is wrong and can prove that the other person is wrong. Somebody who looks at the lowest ranking human being and they don't feel the least bit superior to anybody, regardless of what those reasons might be. Instead, they see everybody else as somebody who is created in the image of God, and they genuinely believe that everybody, no matter who they are and what they believe and what they have done, can make a valuable contribution to the world around them and to their own individual faith. That is how Paul challenges us to be. So as the weeks went on and I kept reading the scripture for today and reading it and, and praying on it and reading it, I came to the conclusion that this is not the Six Million Dollar Man, but this is that other old TV show, Mission Impossible. <laughs> because doesn't it feel that way? Here's our verse for today. This is, I'm reading it from the ERV version. Romans chapter 12, verses 14, 15, and 16. 
Wish only good for those who treat you badly. Ask God to bless them, not curse them. When others are happy, you should be happy with them, and when others are sad, you should be sad too. Live together in peace with each other. Don't be proud, but be willing to be friends with people who are not important to others. Don't think of yourself as smarter than everyone else. In Romans verses 9 through 13, Paul talked about how Christians are supposed to treat each other. And that's, that's pretty important. We need to know how we are supposed to treat each other when we gather together. How we are supposed to love each other out in the community. But in these verses, Paul is talking about all of humanity. How are we supposed to be treating everybody regardless of whether they are one of us or whether they are not? That's what we need to do in order to love as Jesus loved. And that's pretty hard to do, isn't it? So I want to look just really quick this morning at, at four things that I think will help us understand how we are supposed to act based on these three verses. Uh, verse 14, wish only good for those who treat you badly. Ask God to bless them, not curse them. So to bless somebody, if I ask for you to be blessed, that means I'm asking God to send you his favor, to give you peace, and to give you things in your life that you're going to want that's going to make your life better. Isn't that pretty hard to do, to seek the best for, for somebody who hurts us? Some of the, a lot of the different versions of Scripture are talking about wish only good for those who persecute you. Isn't it hard to wish something good for those sorts of people? Think of the people that have made your life unpleasant. Not just the person going slow in front of you in, in traffic, but have you ever been picked on? I mean, has somebody ever hurt your feelings on purpose? Have you ever been blamed for something you didn't do? Have you ever been criticized? And I'm not talking about that constructive criticism, which can also kind of hurt, but I'm talking about have you ever been criticized for something that's not true that you didn't do? Have you ever had one of those, one of those bosses or maybe one of those spouses, don't point at anybody, especially the week right after Valentine's Day. Do you have one of those bosses or one of those spouses? They, they find fault with everything you do. You could do the most amazing thing ever, 100 nice things, and they're going to find just the one thing that didn't end up perfect, and that's what they're going to focus on. And that's what they're going to talk about, and that's what they're going to point out over and over again. Have you ever dealt with somebody who went out of their way to make you feel like you weren't intelligent? Somebody who treated you like you can't possibly understand everything that they can understand? Somebody who treats you like you just don't get it? You ever encounter that, that complainer that seems to walk around with a list in their pocket of everything that's wrong in the world? And, and they just like, they take delight in just, just wrecking your day? You ever make the mistake of saying, hey, how are you doing? And it's, well, go ahead and sit down. I'm going to tell you how I'm doing. You ever encounter those people? Somebody, did you ever have somebody take something you said, and then they kind of twist it just a little bit to make you sound horrible, to make you sound bad, to make you sound mean? Did you ever have somebody just, just outright just lie about you? Make something up about you to make you look bad, or to hurt you with other people. I have. As I go through that list, every one of those has happened to me at one time or another. 
And I want to confess, my gut reaction is not to feel kindness and love towards those people. In fact, my gut reaction is not to say, Lord, will you bless them and do nice things for them? I'm going to be honest. My heart is, is, is Lord, do you still smite people? <laughs> can, you, can you get them? How about a bolt of lightning? How about, how about not really a car accident, but can you just scare them? Some screeching tires and a honking horn. Just can you scare them for me? That's that's kind of where my heart goes. You know, for, for much of my adult life, when I was hurt, I didn't react negatively and, and like take revenge. Except in my head, I sure did. In my head, I sure had conversation after conversation with them where I was setting them straight. And, and they weren't really a part of my prayer life. I would sometimes pray that, that I could get over being hurt, but I sure wasn't really good at praying for the person who hurt me. And, and that's because I kind of honestly felt like if I start mentioning their name in my prayers, it's going to be praying for something bad to happen to them. And I don't want to do that. And it's so hard to this day. I am 47 years old. I've been a Christian since 1992. And I struggle with this. While I was working on this sermon, I got a text message yesterday from somebody asking me to pray, specifically by name, for somebody that has been kind of dishonest about me over the past couple of months. And it's kind of hurt me over the past couple of months. And my first reaction instead of prayer was to say, come on, God, what are you doing to me? And then I kind of, well, wait a minute. I'm sitting right in my chair, right at my desk with my Bible in my hands, working on a sermon about love those who have hurt you. All right, God, I get the message. This is an area I still need to work on. But isn't it hard to do that? I mean, I can't be the only one who struggles with that. So I, I read through these, these verses, and I just, you know, how serious is Paul about this? Because this is, I'm not making a joke, literally Mission Impossible. This is something that is so hard for us to do. How can I do this? And the honest answer is, I can't. Because if it's completely the choice of my sinful flesh, I won't do it. And then even as I want to do it, I struggle to do it, and I can't do it on my own. Unless I yield to God. Now, yield means you let the other guy go first. That's what that means in, in traffic. If you've ever gotten a traffic ticket for failure to yield, you understand that. Yield means you let them go first. You give them the right of way. If you don't give God the right of way in your life, if you don't let God go first in your life, how can you love those who hurt you? One of the ways that I choose to yield to God in my life is I open his word often and I open it with the intent for him to teach me something, for him to show me something, for him to shape and guide me, for him to speak something into my life that I need. I opened it with that intent yesterday and then I get this text and then my first reaction isn't, oh, God's shaping and guiding me. You know, my first reaction is, God, what are you doing to me? I'm trying to get something done here. 
And you want me to pray for somebody that, that, that I'm not really crazy about? But that's God showing up to shape me. That's God showing up to say, hey, look, this is the way you ought to be doing it. I don't want to hear about how you want to do it. Mark, this is how you ought to be doing it. We cannot love those who hurt us if we are not willing to yield to God. And the best way we can yield to God is to spend time in his word. We spend so much time at this church talking about the importance of his word. Memory verses. Not because memorization is some sort of spiritual secret code that's going to get you great spiritual things, but because spending time with his word to do the work of memorization, and if you're like me, it's hard to memorize. Nobody in here has a harder time memorizing than I do, probably. But you spend that time with his word, and it, it starts to get into your heart. You spend time with the scripture. We do this daily Bible reading. Anybody work on their Bible reading this week? Reading through Genesis? We continue to do that. Why? Not because the pastor's on some sort of, of commission. He doesn't get a nickel every time you open the book of Genesis. Because we want together to be seeking God and to be learning. And I love the conversations that we've been having through text messages and right here in the room in the morning when we talk about what do we think about Genesis today? What did we get out of it? What did we not get out of it? What didn't we understand? What gave us some insight? What did we read and it was like we read it for the first time even though we've read it before? Because if I let God's word get into my life and I yield to God, then I can pray for those who have hurt me. It helps me to pray for others. And this is, this is an ongoing thing. But when I'm talking about praying for those that hurt me, one of the things that helps me do that is to remind myself how much God has forgiven me. I'm going to tell you, about almost 29 years ago, that I gave my life to the Lord. And the day that I gave my life to Christ, right before I did, if you had said to me, you know, someday you're going to be a pastor, I would have laughed at you. I would have figured that you had the wrong guy. The night that I got saved, I never could have predicted serving God the way I do because I was a mess. The night that I got saved, I had a trunk full of pornographic magazines in my car. I was in a very unhealthy relationship with a, with a girl that I was dating or, or trying to date. I had a bunch of unhealthy relationships with all these guys in my life that I was hanging out with and trying to impress and being impressed with some of the things that they did that were just terrible. I had all this anger in me, anger at my dad, anger at the world. And that mess that I was at the age of 18, God forgave all that. And if God can forgive me all of that, then I'm obligated to love others even when they're unlovable. I am obligated to do my best to forgive them even when I don't really want to. I am obligated to pray for them even when they have hurt me because God forgave me for who I was and the things that I had done. If I remember how much I've been blessed in my life, how much greatness is in my life. And, and I'm not rich. I don't have everything I want. 
I am not well-traveled. I haven't been everywhere that I would like to go. I haven't seen everything that I would like to see. But I'm going to tell you, I have just about in my life everything that I need. And I have a whole bunch of stuff that I don't need, that I want, that I enjoy. I've got a, a great godly wife. I've got a great house to live in. I have got an amazing relationship with my boss, with the pastor of this church. I am incredibly blessed. I wake up in a good mood every day and I go to bed in a good mood every night. Because God has blessed me incredibly. And that helps me realize in the way of blessings, I am incredibly wealthy. I have an obligation to pray for others, to love others, even when they're unlovable, even when I don't want to. Because God has been so good to me. You know, and, and when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he loved those who had hurt him. When he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they have done. When he said to the thief on the cross next to him, today you're going to be with me in paradise. Forgives this, this guy that was crucified, hanging next to him. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, almost, almost, word for word, what, what Paul later says in Roman, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. He said that in his sermon. He said it before Paul wrote it. And before Paul wrote it, before Paul was Paul, Paul was Saul. And before Saul encountered Christ, Stephen was stoned to death for his faith. And as Stephen was being stoned for his faith, literally killed with stones that people were throwing, Stephen prayed for those that were stoning him. That led to Saul, the persecutor, encountering Christ and, and having his life transformed so much that he changed his name and became the Paul that we know who wrote so much of the New Testament, who led so many people to Christ. What if our praying for those who hurt us is one of the things that transforms their life and turns them into a Christ follower. What if that is one of the things that transforms somebody else's life? If we say that we believe in salvation and we believe that we want others to experience that, then aren't we obligated to put in some work to that concept? We seek the best for those who harm us in verse 15. Romans 12, 15. When others are happy, you should be happy with them. When others are sad, you should be sad too. You know, and, and Paul right here, he's not talking about the easy way. Paul seldom talks about the easy way. So he's not talking about be sad with those people you love when you share their sadness. He's not saying be happy when somebody you love is happy and, and, and celebrate with them. Because that's easy. We already do that, don't we? When somebody you love is having a horrible day, don't you already feel kind of bad for them? When somebody you love has something great happen, don't you sort of celebrate with them? Paul's not talking about that because we already do it. Paul is saying, you go and you be happy and you celebrate for the lazy person at work 
that got the promotion and the pay raise that you earned and you deserved. And you go celebrate with them. You go celebrate and you be happy with the person that you know who makes horrible financial choices when they announce that they are taking a really expensive, nice vacation. You go and you celebrate with them even though that was the very afternoon that you had to wipe out your small savings account in order to pay your bills. And here's this person who mismanages their money getting ready to take a nice trip. You go and you celebrate with them anyways. Don't go give them a sermon. Just go celebrate with them. Go be happy with them. It's Mission Impossible Part 2, isn't it? <laughs> Unless we are being transformed by God's Word, we can't do that. Unless we let God work in our heart, we can't do that. If we are not drawing close to God, we don't have the godly power that it's going to take to celebrate with others when they're happy, when they're the kind of people that, that our instinct is for them to not be happy. Our instinct is to not celebrate that. How easy it is to forget. Last week, uh, Pastor Steve talked about how we're, we're all one body. He talked about that in the, the 1030 service. In uh, 1 Corinthians, if one part of the body suffers, then all the other parts suffer with it. Or if one part is honored, then all the other parts share its honor. Well, shouldn't it be that way when one of us celebrates? Shouldn't it be that way when our neighbor celebrates, our neighbor who doesn't know the Lord? Shouldn't we consider ourselves all the same body? You know, when my mouth gets ready to enjoy a delicious grilled steak dinner, y'all pray for my Lent fast, please. When my mouth gets ready to enjoy something delicious, my toes don't get jealous. And that's kind of a silly analogy, but isn't that how it's supposed to be in the body? Instead of me being resentful that something good has happened, shouldn't I be celebrating with you even when that good thing hasn't happened to me? If we believe that God is in control of everything, and we say that, and we sing songs about it. If we really believe it, if we refuse to celebrate when God allows something good to happen to somebody we know, aren't we just kind of saying, well, God, I know you're in control, and I know you did that, but I refuse to celebrate what you did. If we know God is in control, we know God has allowed that good into their life. And you know, we might not understand that. And I've, I've come to that point of this conversation with people that have said, well, you know, I could maybe praise God for it if I understood it. And you know, my, my, my response to that, I remember when I was a teenager and I was fighting with my mom about keeping my room clean. My mom wanted my room clean. I did not want my room clean. And I was fighting with my mom about it. And I said, you know, here's the solution. Just close the door and you don't have to see it. And then you won't have to worry about it. And then my mom said, no, because I'll know it's a mess. I want you to clean it. And I, and I got really angry, and I said, you know, I don't understand why this is so important to me. And my dad took me aside, and my dad said, you know what? You don't need to understand why it's important. You just need to obey. Maybe we don't need to understand what God is working in the lives of other people. Even the unsaved people that are getting something that we don't think they ought to get. Maybe we're not called to understand it. Maybe we are just called to obey and do what he said to do. Celebrate with them and rejoice with them. Because what if our ability to rejoice for the good things in their life 
opens a door for us to talk about Jesus with that. Because what else matters? What vacation matters? What social status matters? What worldly material goods that we can get or they can get or they can lose or we can lose? What matters compared to them encountering Jesus? If you have encountered Jesus, then you know nothing else matters. Live in harmony with those around us. That's the third thing. We seek the best for those who harm us. We share in others' joys. We live in harmony with those around us. And I, I kind of just passed over sharing in the, the sorrows of others. And one of the reasons I passed, I think that's kind of, that's a lot easier than sharing in the joys. It, it seems like it would be the opposite, that it's easier to celebrate. But you know what? Even the person that we don't like, when their heart is broken, if you know Jesus, you can feel some sympathy for their heartbreak. In fact, somebody you don't like kind of having their heart broken is often the kind of thing that can tear down that wall between the two of you. That's I just glossed over it because I think that's the easier one of the two. The harder thing for most of us is to celebrate when that guy we don't like has something good happen in his life. That's much harder than to be sympathetic when that guy we don't like has his heart broken by something. So we share in others' joys and sorrows. We live in harmony with those around us. The first part of verse 16, Romans 12, 16, live together in peace with each other. This one is really easy if you yield to God. This one is Mission Impossible Part 3 if you refuse to yield to God. In, in Luke chapter 6, do for others what you want them to do for you. That's the ERV version. We are all familiar with the other versions. Do unto others. Have you heard that one before? If you haven't heard that before, you're in the wrong place. We've all heard that. Do unto others. Live in harmony. Get along with people. Treat them the way that you want them to treat you. Treat them the way that you want God to treat you. Mark chapter 12. I know you've heard these. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. He said that's the, the most important commandment. The second most important command is this. Love your neighbor the same way you love yourself. And then he said these two commands are the most important. If you want to live together in peace with each other, you've got to love each other. And, and not just love each other in this room. That's, that's pretty easy. There's sometimes friction and conflict within the church. Sometimes we hurt each other's feelings without meaning to. But, but we usually do a pretty good job in this church, in many churches, we do an okay job of loving each other. But it's loving the world out there that we're not really good at. We just had this, this presidential election that, that created a little bit of friction in our culture. I don't know if you noticed that or not. It's a joke. I know you noticed it. As Christians, we don't always do a really good job of getting along with those that disagree with us. We don't always do a really good job of living in, together in peace with each other. Sometimes when we are in conflict with each other, what is a non-believer going to look at two believers arguing for and think, yeah, I want some of that. I already got that. I already got enough people to argue with. I don't need any more. Love your neighbor as yourself. Spend time in God's Word. Yield your life to what God wants you to do. 
and you will be able to live together in peace with the people around you. It doesn't mean you're going to understand everything God's doing. But to quote my dad, you don't need to understand it, you just need to obey. And I think that was very true. We don't need to understand what God is working. We just need to behave the way he has called us to behave. In the last part of verse 16, it says, Don't be proud, but be willing to be friends with people who are not important to others. Don't think of yourself as smarter than everyone else. And I, you know, I think on the surface, most of us think, i, I got to handle this humility. I, I understand this. I mean, really, who's, who's more humble than I am? I mean, give myself a pat on the back. I'm the most humble guy in this room. Don't, can't we, we take ourselves down that road pretty easily? I mean, I, I can't be the only one who sometimes becomes so impressed with his own humility that he then begins to realize that he's got a lot of work to do on his humility. And, and as Christians, we sometimes seclude ourselves. We, we put ourselves into this Christian bubble where we just listen to Christian music and we just watch Christian movies and we just walk in with other believers and we just hang out with other believers and our whole social life revolves around the church, Bible study and fellowship and potlucks and, and coming up and, and hanging out and, and all of our conversations are with other believers. And that seems like a good thing because the preacher and I are always telling you you need to spend time together encouraging each other, lifting each other up. But let me ask you, if in a month, time, if everybody in a 30-day period you talk to is a believer, who are you sharing the gospel with? Now, I'm not saying in a month's time every conversation you have has to be out there with lost people. But you got to talk to lost people in order to share the gospel with lost people. You've got to be near lost people in order to share the gospel with them. And that means you can't think of yourself as better. Now let's be honest. If you understand what Jesus did on the cross, and you are born again, and you are going to heaven, you've got something figured out that they don't. But instead of that making you feel really, really good about yourself, that needs to break your heart for them, because they're not there yet. And that needs to make you realize that, that you've got this, this information that they need and the clock is ticking on how much longer you have to share it with them. Because God has not treated you the way that you have deserved. Thank God, right? I mean, I'm, I am grateful every day that he hasn't treated me the way I deserved. One of my best friends in the world, still to this day, I met him in grade school. And we were still friends, friends all the way through school. Now, by the time we got in high school, he and I, our lives were on fairly different paths. He was an incredible athlete. He was incredibly popular. He got great grades. None of those things described me at all. <laughs> But he was still friends with me. We still had so much in common and we would hang out. And there was one weekend that was approaching, our sophomore year, our 10th grade year of high school. And these, these two seniors, these two girls, they were sisters. Their parents were going out of town for the weekend. Friday night, they were having a party. The whole school knew about it. 
And it was the party of the year. And they were issuing handwritten invitations, and you couldn't get into the party without a handwritten invitation. Like, probably almost all the seniors, most of the seniors were getting invited. A lot of juniors, a lot of the 11th graders, a few 10th graders, absolutely no 9th graders. Well, we were 10th graders, the whole school wanted to go to this party, but, but it was a pretty secluded guest list. Well, we're, we're sitting in the, the lunchroom one day, my friend and I, and, and these two sisters came up to us, these 12th grade girls who were so popular, they kind of ran the school and they came up to us, and they said to my friend, you know what, you are, you're a great athlete, you're so popular, you're so cool, you're so funny, here's an invitation, we want you to come to the party. And then the girl doing the talking looked right at me, and then looked right back at my friend and said, but don't bring him, because he's not popular, he's not funny, he's not smart, he's not welcome. Has, has somebody ever kind of told you things that you knew were true and you were already unhappy with? And they, they told you those things about you that you were already unhappy with, and it just cuts so deep. Boy, that cut, that hurt so bad. To, to I mean, I already knew that I wasn't, like, in the in-group, but they were pretty much spelling it out to me, he is not welcome. And my friend said, he handed the invitation back to him, and he said, you know, Mark's my best friend. If you don't want him, then you don't really want me. Have a good party. It's cool. I'm not being mean about it, but I'm going to hang out with him this weekend because I hang out with him every weekend. Now, how bad they wanted him at the party, they ended up giving me an invitation. I ended up going. I don't remember anything about that party. I don't even remember for sure which two sisters were holding the party. I don't remember for sure who was there. But I'm going to remember for the rest of my life what it felt like when my friend said, you know, I know he's not as good as me, but you know what? He is as good as me anyways. It's kind of the same feeling I got when I gave my life to Christ. And God said, you know what? I know he's a mess, but I love him and I want him anyways. We don't need to feel superior to others because we're all a mess. None of us are really on that inside group. None of us can earn our way to heaven. All of us sitting here right now are really grateful that God's not treating us the way we deserve to be treated. Jesus, they're just like I was. They're just like I still would be if somebody hadn't introduced me to you. You love them as much as you love me. And as somebody who's gotten more of that love than I deserve, I don't need to feel superior. I need to feel indebted enough to you to be out there loving them and sharing with them. We are not better than other people. Wish only good for those who treat you badly. Ask God to bless them, not curse them. We can't do that unless we're plugged into God. When others are happy, you should be happy with them. When others are sad, you should be sad too. We can't do that unless we're plugged into God. Live together in peace with each other. Don't be proud, but be willing to be friends with people who are not important to others. Don't think of yourself as smarter than everyone else. Mission impossible. 
if we don't know the Lord. Because if we are not yielding to God, we can't do those things. But if we give our lives to Him and say, God, I want you to use me. I want you to use me even if it's in ways that I don't want you to use me. But if we are willing to yield to God, we can rely on Christ and we can love those people that hurt us. We can pray for those people who hurt us. We can celebrate with those people when something great happens to them. We can weep and mourn with them when their hearts are broken. We can recognize that we're not superior to them. And best of all, we can share Jesus with them. Because that is what we are called to do. you pray with me, please? Lord, I pray that I haven't been in the way of this, this simple message this morning. So simple, so easy, yet so hard to do. And Lord, you know how much I struggle with these things. Lord, you know how much most of us struggle with these things. Lord, I heard a, a great preacher one time say that Christianity would be the easiest thing in the world to do if you hadn't included that bit about loving those that hurt us. And Lord, I, I think that's true. But Lord, we are called to do that because we were loved by you so much. So Lord, I pray. I pray this week that each of us in here will have an opportunity to pray for somebody that's hurt us. To celebrate with somebody who has something great going on in their life. I pray we'll have those opportunities to recognize that we are not superior to anybody. Lord, I pray we have the courage to take those opportunities. I pray that when those opportunities show up, we have the wisdom to recognize them. And Lord, I pray that our action in those opportunities will be the foundation for gospel conversations. Lord, I just pray this in your son's name. Amen.